Will to Win, where emerging entrepreneurs come to learn the best tips, strategies, and techniques to unlock their potential and become more successful. I'm your host, Steve Scani, and each week I will bring on the most incredible guests who are going to share their own unique stories, knowledge, wisdom, and insights about how they've been able to close the gap between failure and success, and then go on to live a life of greatness. Here at The Will to Win, we are dedicated to educating and inspiring you to be able to maximize your potential and make what seems impossible totally possible. Welcome to the Will to Win show, episode number seven. I'm so excited to have you on the show and to hear about your journey and your story and talk about the warrior mindset, character development, self-discipline, and yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. We finally managed to uh, to get a time. I know there's been a lot of back and forth with um, indeed trying to find a time that works with us both. So uh, yeah, thank you for having me. My pleasure. We got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's taken a good four four or five months. Maybe it's quite a while. Yeah. Just we just had things come up and get in the way, but we're committed to making this happen. So here we are. So get started and maybe just share a bit about your experience in your journey and what you've accomplished as an entrepreneur, as a world-class athlete and all that. So yeah, feel free to. So um, so my name is Sebastian Bates. I'm the founder of an organization called the Warrior Academy. Uh, It's a global martial arts organization that specializes in character development. Um, I started it about 13 years ago in the countryside in England uh, in a small club. Um, and it's since then, it's it's grown quite rapidly. We now teach about 4,000 children every week in six countries and three continents. I've uh, got a team of about 60 uh, managing the whole operation. And we're an award-winning organization. We've got a best-selling book called The Warrior Method, which basically guides our team on how the best way to, you know, what is the best way to develop a child's character. And so we use that across all of our systems, across all of our um, classes and within our program. So we feel we've got a very unique approach to education. Um, We work with parents to help them solve some of the biggest challenges and transitions their children go through, like changing school, adolescence um, and bullying. And ultimately, we're about empowering young people. So we, you know, when I I look at parenting, it's, it's often this balance between protection and empowerment. I think that a lot of mistakes... A lot of parents are making are, you know, focusing a lot on protection or overprotection. You see this term helicopter parents a lot. And, um, you know, we, we're really trying to help parents with having the courage to empower their children because ultimately that comes from the parents. And so that's that's our big mission. You know, our, our mission is to have a black belt community on every continent. Um, you know, half our members are on scholarships and half are paying. So we work in four developing countries right now where we teach uh, two and a half thousand students who are orphans or in homeless shelters. Um, in developing countries and slums um, around the world. And we expect that number to reach 10,000 over the next year. So lots of exciting stuff going on. Wow. What an introduction, Sebastian. I'm blown away. You're doing so much and having such a huge impact on the world, especially with children and their parents and helping them develop, I guess, character traits that will serve them in the years to come so they can go on to live a much better life. And, and really 
make the most of, of their, their life. And so, yeah, you, you obviously just spoke about how there needs to be a balance between protection and empowerment uh, when it comes to parents looking after their children because sometimes they can be really controlling and demand a lot from their their kids and not giving them the will to sort of make their own choices always yeah it's, it's certainly the case um you know if you look at if you look at parenting ultimately you're raising something which you've created out of nothing so there you are as a independent adult and suddenly you've created a human life and so you're now trying to keep this thing alive at all costs and so part of that comes with this element of protection where you're trying to protect this thing that you've created and so you realize as a parent that while you've got to protect them from harm at the young age where they need that they're in that nurturing stage and they just need complete protection you've also got to at some point empower them to face life's obstacles on their own and that transition from protection to empowerment isn't an overnight thing parents. Um, but it also, it's also one of those things that takes so much courage. And so I was asked recently what, um, what I feel is the most important trait for parenting. And my answer is courage. And the reason for that is ultimately you've got to be able to look at your kids and say, you need to go out there and do this on your own. And your kids could turn around to you and easily say, you know, but it's dangerous out there. And the reality of the situation there and Jordan Peterson summarizes this quite well is, you know, that the, the staying at home is more dangerous because if you stay at home, you'll never have the skills necessary to prepare your child for adult life. Right. And so mm. adult life tends to hit young people who don't go through this empowerment transition with full force and ends up being devastating. And, um, and so we really help parents with that. We try to give parents the, the support and the extra boost and courage to help them with that empowerment aspect. And that's, that's quite unique. I think, um, you know, we understand how parents operate because we are, we are parents, right? We understand mm -hmm. the best way to mentor and empower a child because we yep. work with 30,000 children around the world. It's a lot. And um, yeah. And so, so it's these kind of unique insights, which gives us that insight into how we can best bring that courage out of parents and, and leverage that to empower young people. And ultimately, you know, the three big transitions I've spoken about were changing school, adolescence, um, and going through bullying. And these are three transitions that 90% of children are going to go through. You know, we, we expect children to go through bullying. It's like, you know, children are more likely to go through bullying than not nowadays. But as parents, we don't act proactively as if they are. We kind of have this subconscious, um, you know, belief that our, our child won't get bullied or it's unlikely to happen. You know, so I'm, I'm bullied. it's not going to happen right and so mm. the way i say it is expect your child to cross the road right you expect your child to cross the road when other cars are on the road and so you teach your child to look for the, the pedestrian crossing to look left and right to make sure they've got eye contact with the driver coming in case they're on their phone these sorts of things right mm. you teach them and this is exactly how i approach bullying you know, we know there's danger out there, the car. We know that we're in this, this environment where it can occur, the road. And so we teach our children to be prepared for that so they can face it on their own. And there's lots of ways you can do that. We've got a system to help parents with that. But it's just a, a brilliant example of how a lot of parents, um, while we know what the potential threats are, for some reason we don't 
prepare our children for that. And I think that is that is basically a lack of preparation, which comes from being from opting to be reactive instead of proactive. And the, mm. the fascinating thing there is then when we are reactive, our child's going through bullying, we're deciding to be reactive and now trying to deal with it in the moment. It's even harder because our emotion goes up, our stress levels go up. And as soon as that happens, our IQ and logic goes down. Now we're making bad decisions. We storm into mm. school, dress the other parents. We, we, you know, we blame other people and we say the wrong thing to our children. And suddenly we're not, we're not able to mentor them through that. So your podcast is all about the warrior mindset. It's all about, you know, making sure people have the, the right elements in place so they can live a yep. more resilient life. And so for me, that starts with parents and how we parent young people so that they have the strength of character to transition through these devastating and what can be devastating events on their own. And so that's basically where, where I kind of slot in with the Warrior Academy. Amazing. And I know for me, when I was growing up, yeah, I, I, I was bullied in primary school, especially in high school as well. And, you know, I myself come from a broken family and was in instant foster care and went to a number of different families until I found one that, or the Department of Child Safety found one that actually supported me, believed in me, wanted the best for me, and helped me develop the, that courage muscle that you're talking about. Um, it's so critical because without that muscle, you're dependent on everyone else to, to guide you, but that muscle needs to be developed constantly over and over again. Um, yeah, that's so, brilliant. I, I, love the, I love the way you refer to it as a muscle. It's so true, isn't it? Hmm. You know, and it's like, just, just like anything, if you don't keep the muscle of training, you don't keep, you know, lifting weights, your, your muscles there, you, you experience atrophy, your muscles kind of shrink. Yeah. And <laughs> same with anything, it's that position, right? Yeah. If you don't keep on top of your training, you lose hmm. the skill of taking leaps and having the courage and, you know, and, and I think understanding how the comfort zone works is just such a vital part of that. And this, again, is something that a lot of people mm. don't understand. You know, we see it with parents all the time where they either go too far or they don't go far enough. You know, if you mm. look at if you look at how the comfort zone works, people assume that it's just you're either there's a circle, that's the comfort zone. You step outside, boom, you, you've left your comfort zone. Congratulations. Now all the good stuff happens. It's not the case. <laughs> the reality of that is, you know, you're in this comfort zone which is basically, if you look at it from a parent perspective, it's that protection zone, right? And the funny thing about this is as parents, we're also in that comfort zone. If our child's in the comfort zone, we're in the comfort zone. And so ultimately we need to step outside, outside the comfort zone as parents first, and then encourage the child to follow us outside and then encourage them to do it on their own. And so they, they move from the comfort zone into the high performance zone. And so wow. that's like a second ring, the second layer of this, right? So the second layer of this, then this high performance zone, that's when a child is doing something that's within their ability, but feels uncomfortable. They go into that second layer, the high performance zone, mm. do the thing, go back into the comfort zone, mull over and kind of process what they've just done. And that's a learned behavior with a positive reinforcement, right? Now, for a lot of parents who push their children too far, trainers, educators, coaches, whatever it is, they go outside of the comfort zone through the high performance zone into the hyper anxiety stage. Within that third layer, the child is doing something or the adults doing something that is outside of their abilities. They can't achieve it, but it, it, it also feels uncomfortable. So now they're doing something they can't achieve and they feel uncomfortable. It's a negative experience mm. and they revert back to the comfort zone and that comfort zone then shrinks. 
So in example A, where you go to the high performance zone, it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger with the other way of doing it, right? Where you go too far, that comes in shrinks. And so it's a mistake that I see a lot of parents making. Um, you know, this, the perfect balance in parenting is like this balance between protection and empowerment. And this is a beautiful thing because a lot of people would look at this and be like, you know, you're, you're just focusing on, on empowerment. You know, my, 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 my whole point there is we're not. Protection is so important. We're protecting people from going too far with the risks they take. Mm. And so a lot of parents who just focus on the empowerment, and it tends to be a very masculine energy. In a typical um, relationship where you've got a mum and a dad, you might have the, the mum tends to have this very protective bond with the child. They don't want their child to go you know, to leave the comfort zone. They want to keep them safe and protected. And you typically have the masculine figure in the relationship encouraging the child to leave the comfort zone and trying to be that force for, for, for empowerment. Um, and it's it's funny for me because you know, I've heard it several times that you know a mother and a son is like the world's slowest breakup, right? And um, I look at I look at me and my me and my wife. I suppose we've got tradition yeah. in that sense. And uh, you know, a great example is you know, encouraging them to swim, right? So both my kids now, three and six, they can swim. Um, they swim at, you yeah. know, most days. Um, you know, for, for my wife, that was, a, that was a really difficult challenge because she wanted to keep the armbands on, you know, keep them close. And they had to go in the shallow end, never really go in the deep end. Yeah. You know, very, very slow process. Um, whereas I know for a lot of dads, it's right, jump in the deep end, you know, you're fine, you're underwater, okay, swim to me, one meter, step back sort of thing. And you're, you're constantly being this force to kind of push them forward. And so within a healthy relationship, I feel like you've got this balance within teamwork and it tends to be the masculine and feminine energy, right? Which makes sure there's protection, stops the empowerment being too strong so they go to that hyper-anxiety stage, mm. stops the protection being too strong so that they stay in the comfort zone. And so between this perfect balance, you've then got this relationship which fosters a healthy growth outside of the comfort zone into the high-performance zone so the child experiences new levels of that comfort zone growing and they're able to go and do more things and, and ultimately build the resilience they need to, to kind of thrive as an adult. Wow. Such a great response with regards to going out of the protection zone, stretching your comfort zone and getting into that high performance zone. Like that's a concept that not many people talk about. It's always about getting to the comfort zone, but not so much about the high performance zone. And that's where so much more growth occurs. But then you talk about the hyper anxiety and obviously we don't you don't want kids in your experience getting trapped in that that phase because that's going to drag them down is what i'm is what i'm hearing you know what i know, I know so many adults who had um really um not, i don't want to use the word pushy but parents who were really pushing them to to achieve and to do more and to do more and they just went too far and now these parents as they've got older have taken the complete opposite of, you know um, approach with their kids and so mm. those parents because they went through this childhood where they felt they were over pushed, they experienced hyper anxiety so much. They now raise their children in the opposite way to protect them from that. So they've got the, this hyper protection focus. And so their children don't experience mm. the growth. And so um, mm. it's really just how awareness, right? And, and this is one of the things I love about parenting. It's a bit like martial arts in the way that it's just this journey of self development, you know, self awareness and self growth. And so you start off as a parent, as a white belt. And you gradually learn more and you, you know, you become a yellow belt, a green belt, and, you know, and eventually you're a black belt. You've been through it all and you've seen it all go on. And as we say in martial arts, 
you know, once you get up that far, you're just kind of getting started. <laughs> and so, wow. um, grandpa, right? like a grandmaster. And so I kind of, I, you know, everyone always says to me, like, I always relate everything to martial arts, but it just, you know, martial arts is one of these amazing tools for understanding life. And, and so I, I certainly look at it that way, you know, and I, th- I think when you're, when you've worked with kids for a long time, you're able to spot things that a lot of parents who haven't worked with kids haven't mm. spotted. It's almost like you've studied martial arts, but not this particular style. So you've always you've already got a bit of a head, you know, head start in some ways. In other ways, not. Um, because just like martial arts, you know, until you've actually been in the arena and you've got the gloves on, mm. i.e., you're growing kids and you're raising them, you're not really in a position to judge or experience things, right? It's only when you haven't slept more than two hours for the last three days and you're on your seventh cup of coffee and you've got a you've got a toddler screaming at you because they they're the ones who want to do their own seatbelt on the car or whatever it is, right? where you really are tested as a parent um, and it's in the arena of parenting that you really find out a lot about yourself and you have to, you have to live unselfishly. And so it's um, this journey of self-discovery, just like martial arts. Wow. Yeah, that that's it. And um, martial arts is, is something that does take a lot of training. It does take a lot of discipline. Uh, I'll be honest in saying that when I was a kid, when I was like 13 or 14, I, I gave it a crack and it just, I just didn't have the, the, the commitment, the motivation to, to learn the craft. Um, mm. But I also understand that it's not just about fighting. It's not just about learning how to defend yourself. It's, it's a, it's a philosophy. It's a way of life. And there are lessons within the philosophy that we can take away as children, yeah. as adults, and, and, and maybe expand on, some of the lessons that these these kids take away from doing your your training, doing the uh, Warrior Academy program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's pretty much I start back at you know where it all kind of began with the Warrior Academy. Um, I was I was a personal trainer where I just became a personal trainer after studying Thai boxing for a long time in Thailand and traveling around India and Asia. And uh, I, I dropped out of uni, went traveling for a good year and a half or so, came back, and I needed to work. Right, so I. I I studied to become a personal trainer because I wanted to do something physical. Um, mm-hmm. And my first gig as a personal trainer was uh, running a, a, a sort of inner city Thai boxing club. When I walked into the Thai boxing club, it was all about fighting. We had these young men, sort of 16 to 19 years old. They were just there to love steam, lots of testosterone. Um, <laughs> and you can imagine, right, I was only 19, 20 years old walking into this gym where all these young guys who were, they had a tough life. You know, there was there was drug, substance abuse. There was domestic abuse. There was some of them were sleeping rough. They were going out the weekend, starting fights. Like it was just a, an unhealthy situation. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that a lot of it was tasted by their environment that they were in. So there I was, sort of two years older than them, coming in and having a very different approach. And so I realized quite early on um, that what they were struggling with wasn't so much we need to learn martial arts and how to defend ourselves. What they were struggling with was a lack of a moral compass and a lack of character. Mm. I realized quite early on that 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 was where I was going to help them, right? It was like planting these these kind of black belt seeds of, uh, you know, good conduct, of resilience, of higher confidence, of self-esteem, of self-love, of concentration, of, you know, respect and conduct Mm. and courtesy and integrity. And so... And um, I, you know, I, I, I approached a lot of the the Thai boxing stuff, which is a very um, practical 
full contact martial art. And I balance that out with a lot of the um, old school methodology from traditional martial arts, you know, the five tenets of Taekwondo and bowing as you enter the room and asking them to take their shoes off. And I remember, you know, they really struggled to, to the first few sessions to kind of get on board with it. Um, and so I had to win their respect. And I, you know, I was every single session, I would do the session with them. If it was a hundred press ups, I'd be doing it. You know, if it was sparring, I'd be, I'd be the one sparring every single one of them. Right. And it was only until they could see that I could do everything they were doing and everything they looked up to from a physical point of view and a competitive point of view. But I was also balancing that out with healthy moral values and a strong character. And they started to see that this was actually a path and a way to live. And so, you know, within 12 months of this, they, their, their lives changed. They started taking their shoes off. They were calling each other sir. They were bowing as they came in. They, they stopped having arguments at home. They stopped, um, you know, with the drugs and the alcohol and the sleeping rough. And, the you know, they, they started to foster healthy relationships around them. And so they started making better decisions. And then within 12 months, on top of that, we had about, you know, 10 to 15 national champions from that group in the, uh, in the national and it was just a complete U-turn. And so I realized that we needed to focus on that. We needed to focus on character development. But what if I could work with them when they were younger? And so I, you know, I wanted to work with these young men when they were even younger. And so I started the first Warrior Academy for young people, uh, sort of four to nine-year-olds in a, in a small village school. Uh, we had about 20 sign up. And that was our first Warrior Academy club. The, the, the Thai Boxing wow. Club was Warrior Boxing. And so that was 20, sorry, 2001 uh, in January, um, you know, about 13, 12, 13 years ago. And that was the first kids club. Um, Incredible. And it just grew. And, you know, we, we saw huge transformations in, in children. You know, we, you know, on, on average now, we're really data focused. So, you know, on average now, um, parents, they see, a, they see an increase in confidence from the first year of 82%. They see an increase in concentration of 49%. They see an increase in conduct and behavior by 11%. They, they see an increase in their child's community based on character and the focus on character development by 103%. And so this is all from <laughs> self-assessed um, forms that parents fill in. And so we just gathered the data from 2,000 parents to have a look at that. And it was, it was amazing for us to see. So, that, so we're making massive transformations. We're mentoring children through bullying. We're helping children through depression. Uh, we've had one parent write in to say that we, you know, we saved their child's life who was suicidal. So it's wow. it's lots of things like this which, you know, inspire us and just you know keep us on this mission to to develop character at the really at the real core of what we're doing. Wow, that's so powerful, and I'm really inspired, touched, and impacted just to hear what what you've done with the Warrior Academy. And so we've uh, obviously spoken about the concept of empowerment. We've spoken a bit about changing young people's character and maybe we can sort of move on maybe a bit about your story or what you went through from testimony on your website, sebastianbates.com. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just, I was just, my jaw dropped. I'm like, wow. Um, what you had to overcome to get to where you are really incredible. And so at one point you were flying on what they call a wingsuit. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So, and, so when I was 24, yeah, the, the Warrior Academy was growing well. We had lots of clubs, about 500 students in the UK. Um, and I always wanted to, to skydive. And so I, I started to learn how to skydive. Uh, but things escalated quite quickly. And so before long I was wingsuit skydiving and that's where you wear, you know, 
like a wing, basically you have wings attached to you. So you jump out of planes and stuff and you're able to glide a lot longer and experience a whole new element of flight. You're flying around clouds and diving down in holes in clouds and just the most wow. incredible experience. And you can cover such yeah. huge distances just with your body. And so I, you know, the, the, the next stage from that was, was base jumping, which was becoming more and more popular and base jumping, um, is essentially jumping off bridges, cliffs, antennas, um, or, you know, fixed objects. And so the, the concept there was, you know, can you jump off a cliff and pull a parachute and land safely? And so it's an extreme sport. So, um, yeah, as I started to, to look into this, I actually, you're in the States, aren't you? Uh, no, not quite. <laughs> so I'm actually, actually based in Australia. Some, some people think okay. I've got an American, American accent, accent. Some people think it's, uh, I don't know, maybe Irish or German. Like, yeah, people <laughs> often do get confused. No, just, just, um, at the time, the time, I thought it, it could have been. But no, I mean, I, I, I flew to <laughs> so I flew to Idaho um, in America and did a lot of jumps off what's called the Perrine Bridge. Where they they basically allow you to do base jumps off this bridge. I did about a hundred base jumps in one week um, off this one bridge oh, there. Wow! Then um, then lots of cliffs around there as well, and, and lots of other places. And so I started to develop lots of skills within base jumping. And um, then I flew to Italy and I started doing a lot of um, base jumping in the Dolomites in Italy, uh, which was incredible. You've got these incredible um, big valleys and, you know, um, nice 3,000 foot drops. And so I started wingsuiting there. And um, then I started wingsuiting in Switzerland. And so I was in the position where I was, I was basically taking such massive risks with my own life. Um, you know, I had an amazing friends. Um, I was, and my whole life was just so, it was just so filled with adventure. You know, I wouldn't leave the house without a parachute mm. in my boot. So I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't ever leave the house without a parachute in the, in the car, right? And so <laughs> I hit a pool one day and suddenly, you know, a few hours later, I'm jumping off this cliff or whatever, right? And so, you know, I'd go away, I'd travel three or four months a year. And, and, you know, while during the term time I was teaching martial arts, whenever I wasn't teaching martial arts, I was base jumping around the world. And I ended up doing about 500 sort of base jumps and skylights around the world. Um, and then, you know, it was uh, 2024 um, in July, where I was basically doing my, I was a seventh jump of the day from quite a tricky spot. And it was a Via Ferrata line where you, you climb across the outside of this cliff and you bring yourself down, you suit up on a bit of decking and then you jump. And you've only got about a 20 second flight. Um, and as things progress with base jumping, you end up getting closer and closer to the cliff when really the suit's designed to get you further away from the cliff. But it's all about, you know, the progression is then terrain flying where you try and get as close as possible. And so that obviously increases the risk quite a lot. And so I um, essentially did that jump, uh, pulled away from the cliff, slowed down my descent, reached behind, pulled the parachute out, and the parachute came out um, fine. But the zipper on my left wingsuit was jammed. So I tried to... Yeah, I tried to then use my right arm to pull the you know the rear rises to make a sharp emergency turn away from the telephone lines that are in front of me. Um, the sharp turning basically collapsed the parachute, um, and so I dropped fifty foot. It's about five yeah. four because I dropped. And That's a lot. I hit, hit the ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I stayed conscious even though my legs hit the ground first. Then my head bounced off the floor. I stayed conscious, but I broke both legs, both feet, both ankles. Uh, the tendons blew off my left foot. So I was just a mess. Like at the bottom yes. of this valley, I was just there. I didn't know if anyone could see me or hear me or whatever. Um, luckily, some French climbers saw me falling and heard heard me hit the ground. 
um, and then were able to try and help me. Um, they it took about three hours for the ambulance to come to like get any morphine. Um, and so following that, you know, the, the, the surgeon said to me, you know, when you look at the x-rays, that I'd never walk again. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the damage was so severe, especially the left foot, just such a huge amount of damage. There was no way I could do it. And so he, um, mm-hmm. they, have, they, they have this way of sort of planting the seed of, well, I, I kind of see it as protecting their own backs, right? So they, they, they don't want to, um, they don't want you to assume that you can make a full recovery because then it's on them. And so my, my immediate reaction to that was, I'm going to walk again. When, when am I going to jump again? You know, I, it took me two years to learn how to walk again. And so within that time, a year into that, started to make progress. I was using crutches. I was teaching martial arts on crutches every day. Um, Incredible. You know, I, I got to this point where I was, I was visiting the pain clinic. And the pain clinic is like the last Alamo of um, rehab, right? So if you've ever been through really bad rehab and you might have done permanent damage to your body, you're then referred to this place called the pain clinic, but they basically teach you how to live with pain. So they, you go there and they say, look, you're going to be like this for the rest of your life. That's a reality. Here's, here's how you can live with agonizing arthritis every single day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess at that point, that was the lowest point for me because up until that point, I remained so positive and everything against the doctor had said and had amazing rehab. Yep. And I was now walking with a limp, but I was walking, right? And now there I was. The pain you're feeling, that's never going to go. And so I was like 23 years, 23, 24 years old. No, 24, 25 years old. And um, having to come to the realization that I, you know, I destroyed my life. It was like, that was it. And so at the same time as realizing that I could never go on a dog walk again, you know, I could never walk two or 3,000 steps again. Like if I had kids, I could never go and play with the kids for more than 10 minutes at a time unless it was too much work, right? At the same time as that all that going on, 15 of my closest friends lost their life doing the same sport. And so within this extreme sport of wingsuit base jumping, I was in this situation where I was just every single month watching another friend die, you know? And so so it was a really tough existence, really tough, um, really tough couple of years. Um, And so, you know, after that um, pain clinic referral, where they basically said, this is the rest of your life. I thought to myself, well, if this is the rest of my life, I'm not going to improve. I might as well go jumping again. So that's exactly what I did. You know, I, 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 I selected jumps, which didn't require much height. I took a long time to get up to them, and I, and I started doing a few cliff jumps. Uh, first jump I did was in a place called Campione in Italy, where I jumped over a, a sailing club. So if I, if I was going to land, I'd land in water, and I wouldn't hit the right. feet hard. Um, yep. So I planned, was quite strategic how I planned yeah. these jumps. Um, yep. And then I found myself um, in a place in Sweden. Uh, there was, it, was, it was winter. There was snow everywhere. It was difficult to hike to this spot. Um, just the snow alone made it difficult. You know, it took two hours to get up. It would take two hours to get down. I actually used duct tape around my feet to try and keep, you know, compression on the foot. And yep. the wind started picking up. And I remember my wife was pregnant at the time. And, um, you know, I, I, I ended up not going through with the jump, flying back to the UK. And a few months later, my, my daughter was born. And it was only when I really was holding my daughter, this kind of newborn, tiny living thing, that I realized that, you know, her, if I carried on doing what I was doing, she wouldn't have a dad anymore. Mm. You know, based, on, based on the history of 
my friends leaving me of the way in which I was jumping, the risks I was taking, mm. I suddenly realized just how unlikely it would be for me to survive this at the rate I was going and what that then meant for her. If that would mean her growing up without a dad, you know, that would mean everything being put on my wife. And it was like, I came to the realization that this is as exciting as based on it was, it was a very selfish sport, you know? And so on one hand, you can say, wow, they're truly living, that they're having the most incredible experiences ever. But on the, on the other hand, it's like, at what cost? At the cost of, even if you don't, even if, you know, they're being reckless for their own lives, at what cost? At the cost of, you know, their families have to be in mourning for the rest of their lives. Like, it's just a very selfish point of view. And so, you know, I realized as a parent, you have to be unselfish. And suddenly, you know, my, my reason for existence was to look after and grow and empower this little thing to live without me. And I guess in some ways I had it in my mind because of, I guess, because of the situation I was in, all the death, death around me, as more as that sound, sound, yeah. I just didn't, I would be around long. And so I really wanted to empower her to be very independent. And if you see her now, she's so independent. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and I guess the first, you know, five years of my life was just like, how can I nurture her so she's more independent? And she really is. It's incredible to watch. Um, but I wanted to do that for her, but I also wanted to do that for thousands of kids around the world. Mm. And so as I switched from this focus on extreme sports and myself, I switched to, you know, serving other people and building a business that empowers young people. And within three years, we went from, you know, teaching 300 or 400 kids every week to teaching 4,000 every week and being across three or four countries. We just, the business tripled in about 18 months because of that one decision. And um, amazing. It was remarkable. It was remarkable, the change, right? And it's like, you know, when you look at you know, people, people look at parenting and they, you know, think you can become a parent and it's going to slow down how your business is going to grow. For me, it was a complete opposite. Wow. You know, it was like jet fuel. I had, a, I had a reason to exist beyond myself. My my focus was far less selfish. I was, you know, and I, and I feel like that's, and a true fulfillment in life comes from serving others. It's, it's definitely you know, service through sacrifice is true fulfillment. It's like, what are you, it's not about chasing happiness, right? Like if I look at base jumping, it was like, you know, chasing happiness, chasing that experience and chasing, you know, the experience of base jumping. And it's almost like chasing happiness. And when you look at it, mm. like, uh, you know, what, what I have been doing, especially in the last eight years since the accident, it's, it's all been making sacrifices to serve other people. And I think through that, you're not chasing happiness. Actually, mm. what you're doing is like, Stuff in a situation where you're you're kind of forcing unhappiness into your life because you're taking on more stress, you're taking on more pressure. But part of the human experience isn't just about happiness. Happiness is like a fleeting emotion you transition through. You know, for me, the the point of human ex, you know the the human experience is experiencing fulfillment, and fulfillment is not something where that's like this fleeting moment. It's hmm. it's like looking back at life and thinking. You know, look at the things I've created, the things I've done, the thing, the way in which I've left this place, you know, a better place and who I've helped along the way and the experiences I've created for other people. And it's not just yourself. And I think it's a very empty life just to be trying to, to chase happiness and short-term experiences for yourself. Definitely. And fulfillment is so important because if you're not fulfilled, how on earth are you going to be happy? How are you yeah. going to enjoy your life? And one philosophy I go by is the happiest people on earth are the people who make the greatest contribution to humanity. 
And yeah. the more you impact people, the more you, you empower them, the more your life is fulfilled. And But it's not about, it's not, like you say, it's not just about you. It's about other people. And I think as business people, we, even myself, we sometimes have a hard time often trying to switch off, you know, that focus of it's all about me to, hey, no, it's not all about me. It's about other people too. And, you know, the more that I take the focus of myself and put it on others, the more my business grows. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. simple, but sometimes we just don't get that. You obviously yeah. you've spoken about fulfillment and maybe that's, um, maybe you can expand on that, or maybe there's some other concepts around fulfillment and contribution free to expand. Yeah, I mean, I mean um, yeah, this, this is it when it comes to, to running a business as well. I, I know part, part of what you talk about with your podcast is entrepreneurship and stuff. And so, yes. So when I, you know, when I, when I, I mentor about 300 business owners a year. Um, That's a lot. Yeah, it's in group work majority. And so the, the way, the way in which I approach it for business owners is they typically are very finance focused and they kind of mm. need to be. The early stages you need to be right to kind of get your business off the ground. But there becomes a point in your business where the finances are only a small part of the the point of existence. And that might sound strange if you're looking at business through, through a commercial lens. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of this, right? If you can if you can create a business which exists for a reason beyond making money, then suddenly you're putting yourself in a position where you can have the worst financial year ever. Right. But from an impact point of view, you might have had the best year ever. And a business has to make money to pay staff, to have protection, to, to weather economic downturns and so on. But there's more, there's more kind of a threat to you losing your business than just the economy. Right. You might lose interest or passion, or your customers might lose um, you know, interest or passion in your work, or your staff might soon struggle. If it's if you're just focusing on money. And suddenly you're in a position where you're lacking true fulfillment, I think. And I think that there's so much more potential that you can experience and fulfill within your business if you just focus on the bigger picture, right? And so for me, the money side is important because it's we're in an economy where you've got to create a business that's that's profitable anyway. Yeah. But there's the huge other chunk is finding a reason to exist beyond making money. And this is when I started moving towards charity work a lot more. And so mm. I started I what we call the Bates Foundation. And so the Bates Foundation um, started as this concept of what if we could take all the things that we do best at the Warrior Academy, which is empowering young people, take that concept, they give it to people in the world who need it the most, who need the most empowering, who are in very, very tricky situations that we can help, you know, evacuate from those tricky situations. Mm. And so that's exactly what we did. We um, we launched the first Bates Foundation Scholarship Academy in an orphanage. In fact, it was a homeless shelter at an orphanage in uh, in Kenya. And so when I went there, there were thirty boys, and up until three months before I had visited, they were uh, sleeping rough, mostly near railways, this sort of stuff. Yeah, um, and um, when I went there, you know, I, I, I gave them a martial arts class. And the you know the, the kind of first Warrior Academy class for them, and their faces lit up. It was just so exciting. Nice. And suddenly they were wow. doing this new activity, and so and um, they had never experienced anything like it. And so the bigger picture of all of this is this homeless shelter has got six months with these street kids to take them from the street and put them into full time education. But the problem is within this area, 
is as soon as they typically take them into full-time education, they then run away because they're trying to avoid any authority because they've got you know traumatic past when it comes to any authority, either abusive parents or abusive authorities, um, police, school, whatever it is. And so when they're given their one shot to have education again, they run away from it. They're back on the streets. Right. And that you know, they could be here for a million different reasons, including substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, whatever yeah. it is. And so when I, when I was teaching this this group of young boys, you know, one of them um, was was particularly um, enthusiastic. And he was covered in kind of burns, scratches and scars, and he had dirty old clothes. And, you know, he, he was he was malnutritioned, so he was smaller than the other boys as well because they just haven't had a good diet. Part of the homeless shelter is to give them health and improve their health yep. and nutrition. So they get two good meals a day. Um, but the reality there was they you know, they, they need to transition them. And so part of that transitioning is not just the physical side, but it's the nurturing side, it's the care side. But like I spoke about at the beginning of this podcast, it's the empowerment yes. side, right? Yes. And so when you, when you develop someone's character, ultimately what you're doing is improving the decisions they make tomorrow. So if I can spend six months with these boys give them a martial arts uniform so they literally wear this new identity and suddenly they're a martial artist. It was six months we changed the way in which they approach difficult decisions in their life. We developed leadership skills, resilience skills. We give them a moral compass. We improve their concentration, their focus, their behavior, their integrity, their respect, their courtesy. By the time they then go to school, they're one shot to stick at education. They make the right decision and then they stick with it. Ultimately, you're changing the course of their life. And so that's exactly what we did with this one club with 30 boys. And so it started there about 18 months ago, a bit less than about 13, 14 months ago, actually. And now we've got we've got 2,500 kids just like those wow. boys in Kenya, in Nepal, uh, in Sri Lanka, in India, soon in the favelas of Rio, um, all over the world now cropping up. And so it's it's really, you know, like I was mentioning, when you're looking at true fulfillment, can you tie your business to a reason to exist beyond making money and you know, for a deep purpose that not just hits you in the heart, but really lights a fire in your whole team and in your customers as well um, that you can be proud of and say, look, you know, you, you, you might have had the worst financial year, but you've been changing lives. And so for me, um, you know, that's, that's my point of view when it comes to entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship for me, exploring your true potential to serve mankind such an incredible insight wisdom perspective uh putting others first before money yes like you say money is important um, and it needs to be a priority but you can have a much greater impact by focusing on serving people and not becoming overly obsessed with the money which we often do so yeah i definitely support the notion of making a greater contribution, leaving a legacy, and helping people live fulfilled lives. And I feel like we are coming to an end of the podcast, so we'll uh, sort of sum up and um, end it on a positive note. So much value taken out of this uh, episode, and I'm grateful for all the knowledge and wisdom that you've shared sebastian thank you so and much for steve it's great it's great to uh, have a good chat with you and uh, to finally um, have this meeting um, it's great it's a great podcast so um yeah i really recommend anyone to listen to, to listen to the other episodes as well fantastic show thank you and to um share 
how people can reach out to you, connect you on social media and any other platform. Yeah, sure. So um, social media, you can find me on uh, Instagram, sev.bates. Uh, my website is sebastianbates.com. If you would like to discover what your child's uh, three C's are, so confidence, conduct, concentration, and get a score for each of those, then you can go to www.breakthrougharea.com. Um, and the Bore Academy podcast, we do as well. So the Bore Academy podcast, I do about five episodes a week. We've got some incredible guests on there. Um, we talk a lot about character, building resilience, empowering young people, all this sort of stuff. So if you've resonated with anything I've said today, then maybe um, that podcast will be a read as well. Thank you so much, Sebastian Bates. It's an honor to have had you on the show and wishing you the best of success in your business as the Warrior Academy, supporting the orphanages and young people, children, young people around the world and leaving an incredible legacy. I look forward to hearing many more great things in in the years to come. Thank you for listening to The Will to Win. I hope today's episode was overflowing with value and helped inspire you to make what seems impossible totally possible. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit the subscribe button. And if you got value from this episode, it would make such a huge difference if you could just take one minute of your time to leave me a five-star rating and review, then screenshot this episode, share it on your story, and tag me in. And until next time... Don't forget to remember that nothing is impossible.